It's February 5th, 2010, and you're listening to the NACOcast, coming to you from Canada's National Arts Centre in Ottawa. My name is Christopher Millard. I have the great fortune of having a large number of students, from whom I learn much more than I can ever give. As I get older, and my physical reflexes seem to move più allargando, I often seek solutions to my own difficulties through the things I say to my students. The idea that I keep returning to is that absolutely nothing is more important than the art of practicing. Practice makes perfect. The old adage is true, but it needs a huge qualifier. Good practice makes perfect. Effective practice makes perfect. Deep practice makes perfect. But how does practicing work? Is it just the repetition? And if so, what are the physiological effects of repetition? If you had asked me these questions 40 years ago, I would have answered, What? Well, you just keep repeating something over until you get it right. Can't play a passage? Repeat it. Over and over and over. Hit your head against a brick wall is more like it. Truly accomplished musicians are efficient problem solvers. They manage their practice time effectively. They follow procedures that reinforce success and weed out mistakes. They practice better. I've heard so much ineffective practicing in my life, including my own, that I've come to the conclusion that the development of deep practice techniques is the one universal quality shared by the very best musicians. Here's how I define deep practice. It's the process of identifying the weakest link in a chain, strengthening that link, and then carefully and watchfully reassembling the whole chain link by link to create an unbreakable whole. So, continuing this chain metaphor, what is a link in music? Well, the simplest answer is that a link is the intersection of two notes. It's the joining of sonority, if you like, the flow of the fingers, the legato. The great pianist Vladimir Horowitz always said that anyone could play a single note on the piano as well as he could. It was the next note that was the problem. Linking two notes together is the essence of musical technique. Linking lots of notes together, especially when they come quickly, is the essence of virtuosity. Instrumental technique is at once both highly complex and rather simple, in the same way that walking is physiologically very complex and yet produces the simplest of motions. The neurophysiology of walking describes millions of synapses firing in an organized way, achieving the flexing of muscle tissue in the legs in conjunction with highly developed systems for balance and momentum in the upper body. Walking on a rough surface or on a slant, in the dark, in a windstorm, or any of countless variables we contend with, we seem to handle almost entirely unconsciously. We achieve these unconscious skills as toddlers through the combination of a simple determination to get across the room and the tremendous plasticity of the young human brain. Once we've learned to walk, we only become aware of the true complexity of the process if we experience a problem with the whole walking system, a leg injury, an inner ear infection, or a neurological trauma, perhaps. 
but mostly we're just like the pilots of an airplane running almost entirely on autopilot, occasionally plugging in meta-instructions like, we're going to Miami at 36,000 feet, or I want to walk over there, or perhaps play this musical phrase. Make no mistake, the unconscious mind is handling many, many more bits of information than the conscious mind. You know this when you drive to work and don't remember stopping at any of the red lights or thinking about which turns you made. I know this when I'm playing the first movement of Beethoven's 7th and thinking about what to cook for dinner. Linking two notes together on an instrument involves managing similarly large imbalances between unconscious and conscious processes. The mechanics of mastering an instrument involve the ongoing ability to swap information between the pilot and the autopilot functions, if you like. So the pilot says, I need to play this difficult bassoon passage from this new composition. But the autopilot, never having addressed this passage before, falters. So the pilot must then engage the autopilot by bringing the unfamiliar links, in this case the new note patterns, to the surface to that interface between conscious and unconscious, focusing on the parts of the passage that don't work well and then adding notes one by one until the autopilot can control the entire passage as a successful whole. Let me illustrate this for you through some simple examples. On the bassoon, I can play the notes A and B in three different octaves. Linked together, the first two octaves sound like this. To get from A to B, the interval of a major second, I lift the middle finger of my right hand. The electrical chemical processes that make that happen involve a neural pattern of many nerve axons connecting in a specific way. In my brain, that neural pattern, the lifting of the second finger, is like a well-established path upon which I've tread countless times. It doesn't take any interaction between conscious and unconscious processes for this to happen. I don't have to think, raise the second finger. I just need the conscious intent to play from A to B. Of course, there is a far more complex regime of neural processes going on for me to create the sound of A and then B on the bassoon pushing air into the reed, modulating that airflow, the loudness, the vibrato, controlling the stability and intonation with the embouchure, choosing articulations, etc., etc. We'll come back to this. In the third octave of the bassoon, the link between A and B is a whole other level of complexity. Unfortunately for bassoonists, the linkages that are fairly straightforward in the bottom half of the instrument get really complicated as we move into the upper register. For me to do this, involves lifting the third finger of my left hand, the ring finger of my right hand, keeping the second finger of the left hand fixed, closing the first open tone hole with the first finger of my left hand, closing the first and second fingers of my right hand, engaging the highest of the available keys from my right thumb, moving my left thumb from its engagement with the second and third available keys on the wing joint, ignoring the potential for four other keys on the long joint for that thumb, and shifting the left thumb up close to the second available key. Oh, and if I want the note to be in tune, I'll probably lift the little finger of my left hand. Not so simple. In fact, 
Like most of the fingerings for the upper register of the bassoon, we follow twisted neural pathways. And if we extend this metaphor back to walking, playing the lower octave link from A to B is like taking a forward step. But playing the higher octave link on the bassoon is more like choreographing a Fred Astaire routine. And obviously, that link between the high A and B requires more practice. But what is the process by which practice, and more specifically repetition, leads to a more fluid link? According to Daniel Coyle, whose popular book The Talent Code examines some of the physiology of practice, repetitions increase myelination of nerve axons. Myelin is the insulation created by oligodendrocyte cells which wraps around nerve fibers like a protective sheath. Its main purpose is to increase the speed at which impulses propagate along the myelinated fiber of neuron connections. Along unmyelinated fibers, impulses move continuously as waves, but in myelinated fibers, they hop. Myelin increases electrical resistance across a cell membrane by a factor of 5,000, and at the same time de decreases capacitance. Thus, myelination helps prevent the electrical current from leaving the axon. So when I start repeating the complex fingering pattern from high A to B, I'm engaging oligodendrocyte cells to wrap myelin insulation around the millions of neuron connections that are responsible for this musical link. To put this into more familiar terms, myelinated nerve fibers work like a broadband internet connection. The more I repeat a complex link, the better the information travels. It's a self-acting physiological process. It's in our genes. It's all unconscious, and it's a complete miracle. It seems that our infinite capacity to develop skills both intellectual and physical, to paint the Sistine Chapel or play a Brahms concerto, is dependent on our human brain's ability to myelinate nerve axons. If I repeat this high A-B fingering about 5,000 times, it will become largely absorbed into the automatic unconscious brain where most everything happens anyway. Deep practice utilizes some very specific techniques of repetition, guidelines that the conscious brain must follow. Why? Because all those hundreds of millions of neurons involved in making the link from A to B don't distinguish between good links and bad links. There is nothing in your unconscious mind that knows right notes from wrong notes either. When you're practicing a musical instrument, it's just as easy to improve your ability to do something poorly as it is to do something well. Repeating a complex group of notes where something is amiss is a great way of reinforcing a lousy link. You can just get better and better at doing something badly. Listen to how easily I can play high A to B in a sloppy manner. Maybe in this case, the fourth finger of the left hand is lifting too late. If I don't pay attention to this fact, I'll practice the lousy link until I'm just fabulous at playing a lousy A to B trill. I know this probably sounds so obvious that it's hardly worth mentioning, at least to anyone over the age of six. But I can tell you that accomplished musicians take care to be vigilant about this process. And I hasten to add that myelination of nerve axons is apparently not a permanent thing. It's not like riding a bike, a skill you generally remember for a lifetime. 
Playing a complex musical passage needs ongoing maintenance and tune-ups. Our brains are so incredibly complex and remain ever ready to learn new processes, but it's essential to constantly attend to the neural insulation for any complex passage to keep the broadband flowing. If I go a month without playing high A to B, I'll need to reinforce that link through some careful and consciously observed repetition. I mentioned earlier that the movement of the fingers is only one part of the process. I could give any of you my bassoon and show you how to finger low A, lift the second finger, and produce low B. But that doesn't actually give you all the skills you need to play the A and B. There's all the rest of it. You need to put the reed in your mouth, take a breath, learn how to deliver air to the instrument, develop all the muscles in the mouth, and a host of related physical processes. All these layers of complexity require a few hundred million more nerve connections, and they're all part of the link from A to B. This takes us to recognizing an essential component of deep and attentive practice. You really can't separate finger technique from sound production technique. Everything is linked. The air support for A is a little different than for B. The embouchure needs to be subtly different for the two notes. You need to adjust the dynamic. In fact, it's incredibly difficult to lift that one finger and go from A to B with the same sound, maintaining resonance, vibrato, life in the sound. So, attentive practice requires us to create the conditions under which we can build myelin for fingers and tone together. If I go back to the high A and B on the bassoon, I need to examine the problem of linking the sound. A and B feel different on the bassoon. If I just move the fingers without paying attention to the subtle differences of air pressure and embouchure control, I don't get an artistically pleasing link. It's essential for me to repeat the link in an artistically satisfying way. My conscious brain the pilot needs to listen and observe the dynamic, the sonority, the vibrato, the very essence of the legato connection. I need to structure repetition in such a way that my unconscious brain learns the whole link to be proficient and smooth with both tone and finger technique. Skilled practice needs to be conducted in a highly attentive way. Yes, slow repetition is vital, but it's equally important to push the limits of velocity. It's absolutely essential to make mistakes. In fact, we can't really master a challenging passage without making mistakes. The key is to recognize the essence of an error, correct it, and repeat the properly executed links until the brain structure responds by improving the conduits of neural instructions. Deep practice involves getting to the heart of the mistake, going to the link that doesn't quite work, fixing it, reinforcing the fix, and then expanding the chain link by link in both directions. We learn languages word by word, and then learn to assemble them in coherent phrases, sentences, paragraphs, chapters, and even books. All of our myelin learning techniques start with small pieces, like the links between A and B. Skilled practice recognizes that it takes time and conscious observation to begin incorporating the small pieces into bigger pieces. 
highly reductive approaches to solving small links eventually transform into the holistic processes of long chains. Our goal as musicians is always to transcend the details and get to the larger idea. I want to be able to emulate a singer, well, to match even the simple naive song of a child. And to get there, I need to build the chain of a phrase link by link. Effective practice involves recognition of problems through the highest level of awareness. My experience in maintaining a functional technique and helping students find efficient improvement suggests that it's always more important to have good practice rather than a lot of practice. It's really difficult to maintain peak awareness and deep practice for, say, five hours a day. Indeed, I often observe that too many hours of practice I repeat, too many hours of practice can sometimes lead to lazy, unfocused practice. Sometimes, 30 minutes of intensely concentrated work achieves far more than three hours of superficial, shallow practice. It's a bit heretical to say this, but I frequently tell students to practice less, but practice better. I was working yesterday on some of the upcoming repertoire for my own work, and thought I would share with you some of my approaches to solving a particularly awkward bassoon problem. Here's the passage. This phrase from a chamber work by the contemporary composer John Harbison is typical of the kinds of challenges that require attention. You can hear that it's not built on a major or minor scale or a typical arpeggio, all of which are reasonably competent in my technique, Instead, this passage involves alternating intervals of thirds and minor seconds. I'll play it again slowly for you to hear. When I first looked at this yesterday, I was having the following kind of problem. A typical approach to getting this even is to play it very slowly and gradually moving up the tempo. That's useful, but deep practice involves commitment to finding the core of every problem and not skirting around the edges. In the case of this passage, I recognized that my fingers were having trouble achieving a very particular interval. So I repeat it, reinforcing the complex neural pathway. During this repetition process, I'm careful about healthy sound production, and I observe my whole body. Am I moving something like an elbow or tapping a foot in a way that might not survive the inevitable change of tempo when things get faster? I look for a complete body image, a total set of neural processes, and keep firing those instructions. It's a bit like gardening, supplying the right soil, the right light, a trellis to climb on, my pilot pays attention to the goal of fluid technique and sound, while all the miraculous physiological processes of nerve axons making and improving their connections goes on underneath. I'm giving the autopilot a chance to learn. Like any chain, once I have the essential link established, I begin to look at the link from either end, gradually extending the chain into a full phrase.
eventually, I start to feel the resistance breaking down. I've been demonstrating the simple process of grouping in a rhythmically consistent way. All musicians know that the brain is aided in the construction of fluid pathways by reorganizing problem passages in different metric and rhythmic combinations. For example, the passage I've been demonstrating, which is written in 3-4 time as three groups of two notes, might become easier to play if divided into 6-8 time and two groups of three notes. Another bassoonist might find the 3-4 division more facile. This is a curious phenomenon which we all observe frequently. Something clicks in the unconscious mind with a change in the implicit internal time division of a passage that can release the flow of a more efficient neural path. For example, I have my students practice chromatic scales shifting their sense of subdivision. Here is a chromatic scale broken up into three groups of four notes. And here is the same scale broken up into two groups of six notes. When I put them together, they should sound equally fluid. The fact that they often don't demonstrates that the fluidity of technique, which flows from billions of well-established and insulated axon connections, is sometimes dependent on the tendency of the unconscious mind to find comfort with a note on a primary subdivision. Using this technique, I go to the Harbison passage and repeat it, swapping the two rhythmic environments. You can hear how the alternation of underlying meter or pulse helps the passage gain fluidity. One of the great mysteries of good practice, and a bit of knowledge which every musician possesses and practices to some degree, is the alteration of rhythms. Within any simple technical passage, there are many ways to break up rhythms. Why does this process work so effectively? There are many superficial reasons that we might describe in terms of finger technique. Mixing notes up into longer or shorter values helps train the fingers not to rush or drag. But these muscles are just the workhorses at the end of a long neural path, and the timing is all happening upstairs. Presumably, play one link fast and another slow, and then reversing the process somehow helps the neural paths to treat each complex finger change with equal attention. What's important for the observer in deep practice is to be aware of the quality of the rhythms and maintain a vigilant observation of the entire body and its contribution to sound production. The practice examples I've given here reveal just some of the process of information feeding through the neural pipeline, my conscious intent to my unconscious realization with ever greater efficiency. 
In time, although maybe not today, I'll have allowed the hundreds of millions of synaptic functions involved in this passage to fire away with increasing ease and even efficiency, and eventually I'll perform the passage smoothly and up to tempo. not intended to be a treatise on practice techniques. The point I'm making is that maybe we need to view the deep practice process as a management skill more than anything else. By recognizing that the brain needs the right kind of repetitions to build efficient, insulated neural processes, a highly focused musician can become more like that pilot. He can let the autopilot keep the plane on a level course, sit back, and enjoy the view. Well, I've got to get back to my practice now, so for the National Arts Centre, this is Christopher Millard.
That's all for this edition of the NACOcast. Send us your comments and questions. You can reach us by sending an email to nacocast at gmail.com. We always look forward to hearing from you. Don't forget, you can subscribe to this and other NAC podcasts by visiting nacpodcasts.ca, where you'll find our past episodes, subscription links, and instructions on how to subscribe. You can also easily find this podcast as a free subscription in the podcast section of the iTunes Music Store. Just search on NACOcast. So until next time, this is Christopher Millard for the new media team here at the National Arts Centre in Ottawa.